WrestleMania uh, 32 in Dallas, Texas was a hell of a picture. Uh, over 100,000 people there. You walking down that ramp, I walked down the same ramp you did. It was badass being in front of 100 grand. You go in there to face uh, Brock Lesnar. What are you thinking out there, dude, just... A, he's a, he's a freaking beast. Yeah. So how was that feeling for you? And certainly, if you ever were an underdog, you were an underdog in that match. Yeah, it's it pretty cool, you know. We went to the ring. I went to the ring that night. I went to the ring that night uh, pretty pissed off. And then uh, kind of also, then I really started to enjoy, as I, as I walked to the ring, because I had no idea what was going to happen. Went out there with uh, not much of a plan, so to speak, you know, like uh, to get into What were you pissed off about? I felt like I was, uh, I felt like I was pulling teeth to to turn that match into something was, uh, was, epic and so forth. You're an MMA fan just like I am. Was it a disconnect in styles? I mean... Artistically? I mean, in the ring? Yeah, art, like artistically, Brock didn't want to do anything. To be perfectly honest. And, because, uh, you know, Brock's going to Brock. He's all about Brock. You know, I, I had a vision for that match to be the craziest thing imaginable, you know what I mean? And I was trying to pitch everything to everybody and had every every idea and just I put so much effort in so much work in, and other people did too and and you know and I was met with uh with laziness and uh but I I just kept thinking at the end of the day I was like once we get in the ring it's all gonna be okay we'll figure it out once we get in the ring and uh you know I went out there and we whacked each other with weapons I got suplexed a bunch of times and, you know it's a cool it's, it's an invigorating feeling walking in the ring knowing that like you're going out there with a man who can kill you with his bare hands in front of 100,000 people, and you have no idea what's going to happen. It's pretty cool, you know? So then, like, I live for moments like that. So so it was, it, was, it was a hell of a day, I'll tell you. Hello, and welcome to Eagles Don't Hunt Flies, a podcast all about the life and career of John Moxley. And I'm your host, Martin Bushby. And joining me, as always, are Dickie Bird and Brandon from New Jersey. And lads, how's it going? Episode two. Dickie, did you have a good Halloween? Do you celebrate Halloween in Australia? What's the deal with Halloween over there? Uh, no, uh, Halloween is not celebrated in Australia. That is for Americans. Uh, no, I I, uh, I saw a, a funny, I think I retweeted it on my Twitter, but yeah, I just saw a funny sign that some Australian hung up the, the front of their house that basically just said, um, fuck off, you cunts, we're not Americans. Uh, I don't have any candy for you, basically. Uh, but uh, I have a, a six-month-old child, so I'm not doing Halloween just yet. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll get there in due course, and I can dress him up like I don't know Buzz Lightyear or some shit. Yeah, we had um, we had similar sentiments over here in England. There's like it seems to be becoming more Americanized because when I was a kid, no one really bothered with it sort of thing. But now it's, it seems to be getting more and more of a thing. But Obviously, where you are, Brandon, you know, it's the the big, big thing. Did you uh, dress up this year? Any any costumes that you pulled out of the closet? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I dressed up as my in my work clothes and went to work. Came over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what they do now around here in my neighborhood, they don't do door-to-door anymore. They do, uh, I guess they go to a local fire department. They do trunk or treat. <laughs> What's that? What is this? <laughs> it's what people have... Have candy in their in their respective trunks in the parking lot. They just go car to car, 
getting candy and stuff like that. I guess it's it's to uh, keep the kids from getting kidnapped or getting poisoned by a weird weird homeowners uh, in in strange neighborhoods. Yeah, wasn't there like people playing fentanyl in like toffee apples or something? <laughs> I mean, who can afford to do that? <laughs> That's when you know Halloween's over when you're uh, going to a, a crack house and you're, uh, <laughs> you're getting fentanyl <laughs> for candy. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm surprised. We're, I'm, I'm I'm shocked we're, we're at episode two. Uh, I thought the network wouldn't pick us up during pilot season, but here we are, right? I mean, yeah, we must have done some decent numbers in our uh, in our premiere, so yeah. Um, but, I mean, we can't not talk Halloween and talk about Braden Harrington's amazing John Moxley costume for Halloween. I mean, I had no idea that that's what he was doing. Excellent work. I mean, Davies was just as good, but I think Braden was, like, absolutely brilliant, wasn't it, Dickie? Yeah, he nailed it. Um, it Oh man, I, I absolutely love it. I don't mean to, to pivot away, but every time I see something like that, I go, man, I get jealous because I'm just like, I wish I, A, like cared enough to do Halloween and mm. B, like think about it and, and, you know, do something like that. And then I look in the mirror and I realize that I think the only two wrestlers that I could dress up for Halloween is like Sami Zayn and Pat Buck or something. So. <laughs> Uh, so so I, so then I go back and I look at brains and I go yeah you you nailed it I couldn't have you know I couldn't have done a better job. I mean you've got more than me mate. Oh have I got Stone Cold Steve Austin? <laughs> There's so many bald people. David Draymond. David Draymond. Wait, Giovanni Vinci, Johnny Sims, <laughs> Luther, Telly Savalas. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that one's easy. I'd just have to put a lollipop in my mouth and that'd be fine. But uh, uh, The commission could be him too, or the, or the guy from Breaking Bad, the cop. <laughs> <laughs> Mike. Not the main character, Walter White. You could be Mike Armitrat oh, yeah. too. He's bald. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, you know uh, uh, Braden, he really did knock it out of the park with that Halloween outfit. I mean, pre-rehab Moxley, he pulled that look off uh, real, real good. I mean, uh, it's not though. It's not pre rehab Moxley. I, sorry, I just I know you've said this in some group chats, and I just wanted to bring it up. I mean, based on all the things, I mean, I don't remember seeing an AEW champion John Moxley with skewers in his head pre rehab. But uh, no, but hey. there was a, there was a there was a re- before he went to rehab, he was wearing that vest, and he had that bare like chest, like he and he had that bloated gut. Before, before been... we get cancelled, uh, give, give us your plugs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've been busy this month, haven't you, Brandon? You know, they called you Braden then, sorry. Um, <laughs> you've been on with John and Way a couple of times, and the one I was most interested about, because we'll get onto your uh, Thunder review a bit later, was uh, you called in to John and Way on uh, Rewind the Smackdown, was it? And something that I had no idea about. Was this uh, John Moxley doing Dusty Rose impressions that uh, John brought up? Um, and luckily for us, a YouTuber by the name of Devoca, sorry if I've absolutely butchered your name, has done a compilation of this. So let me uh, just play this right now. Here we are, lovely Bellevue. This is Bellevue on North. It's the IWM Mid-South. It's the Prince of the Deathmatch Tournament. What do you think, my broadcast colleague? We got OMG, Kyle Threat, 
and the returning Simon Sears in a barefoot thumbtack spectacular. I know I've seen anything like this in my life. What do you think? I think uh, that contrary to uh, your sounding like Dusty Rhodes, I'm joined by John Moxley right now. All right, guess what time it is? This is Point Break. Dusty Rhodes playing Johnny Utah and Terry Funk playing Hoagie. John Moxley acting time. We're not gonna land on land, you stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> I am an FBI agent. I'm Johnny Utah, representing the Federal Bureau of Investigation. This isn't a game boat. People are dead. People are dying. This is not funny anymore. These guys, they don't understand the spiritual side of it. They only live to get radical. I am an FBI agent, baby. The Bureau. You got to understand that boy you show with an off-duty cop, they will hunt you down to the end of the earth, boy. You got to understand. The servant is in a game, 27 banks in three months, the dead presidents, I will hunt them down. <laughs> you're the shock master. You are 400 pounds of menacing stock and all, and you're going to slam through the wall. Boom. Fuck flying. You're going to go right on your face. Everybody's going to laugh their ass off. For 50 years, we're going to play this clip. I had no idea that Mox was uh, the man of uh, a thousand impressions. I mean, um, his Terry Funk wasn't really up to much, but yeah, that is an amazing <laughs> Dusty Rose impression, Dickie. Yeah, I mean, it didn't occur to me. I, I think, like, when I uh, checked this clip out uh, of the Dusty Rhodes uh, impression, it, it all came together for me. I'm like, actually, I he does a lot of impressions. You know, he he may be kind of the John Pollock of impressions in the wrestling world. Uh, I wonder what his Lennox Lewis is like, but. Uh, but I mean, yeah, we, we'll, we'll get to in this episode, another impression and, um, and there may be some more down the line. What about you, Brandon? Do you do a, uh, do you do any wrestling impressions? I know you're always asking John to do them, but do you do a Dusty Rhodes or anything? <laughs> I do not. I do not. I do an, an impression of, a, <laughs> of, a, of, a, of a, a super fan calling into a podcast. <laughs> Nailed it. But uh, no, I, I, this this as as you peel the onion of John Moxley, this man is just full of talents. Like it's 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 incredible what this man can do. Also, I'm vindicated that John. Uh, I knew I, I I had a feeling John Pollock did that Lennox Lewis impression, and and I and I was vindicated, and I would like an apology. I, I think you're the only one who's ever heard that impression, but uh, <laughs> you might have dreamt it. You might have been listening to Post one night and falling asleep and just dreamt that he did it, but um, I digress because, of course, we are on episode two now, going back to 2016 to talk, not John Moxley, we're talking Dean Ambrose this time, it's Dean Ambrose against Brock Lesnar from WrestleMania 32 in Dallas. What were you lads up to in 2016? I know you wanted me to bring this up, Brandon, because you had a very interesting job in uh, in 2016. Well, no, I was, I was, in 2016, I was currently in my, uh, current job as a, the brown man, UPS. But, um, that is what I was doing at, at that time. Uh, I mean, and I was, <laughs> I was, I was in and out of pro wrestling uh, in my fandom and I, I watched the show. And I wanted to jump out of a window out of my fandom of pro wrestling. <laughs> I thought you said you were like operating a, a, a crane or something. No, this was that was two thousand seven. 
Wow. This, well, like, is, this these- sounds like the Steve Austin <laughs> podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> what, John, I thought confusion. you were doing didn't you didn't you didn't you work in a didn't you work in a restaurant or something? No. Oh. <laughs> Must have got my research wrong. Anyway, we'll get to that some other time. That that was from the horse's mouth. There. What about you, Dicky? What was a uh, what was a young Dicky doing in 2016? Well, I wouldn't call myself young. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't feel like that long ago. But um, <clears throat> I mean, in my life, nothing really, uh, nothing nothing really crazy. But I mean, in terms of my wrestling fandom, I mentioned on last week's show that you know it was 2015 Royal Rumble that I you know came out of the the ashes and and became a wrestling fan once again um, after so many years in my dark period. Uh, what what I think is interesting though is is that came about because of the WWE Network uh, mm. uh, launching in Australia. However, that was just the pay per views, so I wasn't watching Raw or, or anything because I didn't. I, I I couldn't I wasn't going to pay, pay like pay TV here was, was incredibly expensive so I didn't even bother with that I just listened to podcasts for you know catch up on on reviews of, of Raw and I wasn't aware of uh, alternative means at this point either so it wasn't until probably around about this time maybe a, a few uh, weeks or months before this WrestleMania that I did start watching. Raw, you know, I'd come home from work because Raw is on at uh, 10 a.m. on a Monday morning. So I'd come home from work and I would chuck it on and I was I was quite interested in what was happening. That was probably the last time that I was interested. It didn't last very long because I think after WrestleMania, the story, some of the story stuff was so stupid that I just thought, okay, whatever. Um but yeah, this is kind of this is like peak me. I'm I'm really really glad that I I was around watching wrestling at this time because I really don't want to actually go back and and rewatch a lot of this stuff. Obviously, I rewatched what we needed to for the show, but I can remember the things that were happening on Raw, and I don't need to to revisit them. Yeah, it's funny because watching the, a lot of the clips for this and then I was remembering other things that were happening on Raw with Shane McMahon and The Undertaker and stuff and I was like, oh God, yeah, this was a, a bad period for uh, WWE. It's funny because I was trying to remember what I was up to in 2016 and then I, I did remember that um, I was um, sort of like running my own little podcasting network and cause, because I had... There were three girls from LA who did um, a monthly show for me, mainly reviewing PWG shows, but they actually did like a wrestling road diary to uh dallas for uh or arlington rather for this uh wrestlemania and um i was chatting to the, one of them earlier this week and she reminded me that they had um t-shirts made up that said uh ambrose before hose <laughs> i thought it was quite amusing um i've completely forgotten they'd made up those t-shirts but yeah it's um feels like such a long time ago but um actually not that long ago because there is actually a lot to unpack here i mean we'd have to go all the way back to royal rumble in 2016 of that year jan 24th in orlando um ambrose 
pretty decent at this Rumble. He had um, a good last man standing match against Kevin Owens and then was second to last man in the Rumble match itself, being thrown out by the eventual winner, Triple H. Um, Triple H winning the WWE title, rather, as as a result of this. Um, Any memories uh, stand out to you of this Rumble? I'd completely forgotten about this Kevin Owens match. I remember that it lasted pretty long in it, but um, I'd completely forgotten about the uh, Kevin Owens match, Brandon. Oh yeah, this it was it was a really good match. Uh, it w- makes you like really wonder why he was booked so horribly in the, in the, against Lesnar. I, I I know I know you get an opportunity. I know it's a good opportunity to work a match with Brock, but uh, I mean, from going to the Last Man Standing match to uh, to this match, we're probably going to talk about. We're going to talk about it's, it's it's goes to show how shite the booking was. <laughs> <laughs> in that era of WWE, all the way when, when the booking get better till uh, last year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a, a certain old man decided to you know just retire into the sunset after all his good deeds. <laughs> it's it just it's it just it's amazing uh, how night a day it is. I mean, and it's I, I yeah I, the the rest of the rumble is just a complete blur to me as well. Like. I remember watching it on the network, but I don't. I don't really remember anything about it. <laughs> I mean, all anyone really remembers around this time period is when the, you know they were trying to get Roman over, weren't they? And I think this is like the peak of people booing Roman, especially in this Rumble match. It was even worse than um, when The Rock came out and tried no, sort of like giving him. I was the at rope. that one. Oh, really? Right? Yes. Yeah. Well, were you there booing The Rock? <laughs> <laughs> The tequila sucks. I felt so bad for Dwayne when he was just getting, he was trying to endorse his cousin and, uh, uh, and and it wasn't working. Yeah. He, maybe he needed a, maybe he should have threw some Zoa energy drinks to uh, the fans. Maybe he would have gotten that endorsement. Maybe. Or they would have tried it and gone, nah. (laughs) I don't know what the, uh, I don't know what the peak of Roman getting booed was. It feels like the peak lasted about four years or something. Mm. Um, but what I remember about this time, it, it was yeah, definitely Roman, you know, Pete getting booed. But it, I remember so many people were injured. And I guess the feeling was they actually were trying to back off of Roman during this time because he, he lost, uh, I guess he lost to Seth Rollins at last year's WrestleMania. Um, he was in the match with Brock, obviously. Brock was the champion, but it was... They put the belt on Seth, and Seth was the. Or they would go, okay, well, we'll just go with Seth, and then we'll just sort of figure out what to do with Roman. And then, of course, Seth got injured, and then they put the belt on Roman, and had Sheamus cash in the, the ninety-one again. The ninety-one, the champions. Sheamus <laughs> cashed in and beat him, and then he won it back in a ladder match. And then Triple H beat him at the. Well, you know, Triple H won the rumble, which won the title. And, and yeah, it's, um, it was, a I I guess looking back and reading some stuff, you know, it wasn't supposed to be Roman in the main event of this, of this WrestleMania, but, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll kind of get into it, but John Cena was out. Randy Orton Mm. was out. Cesaro was out. Brian Danielson was out and would actually end up retiring sort of during this between rumble and mania um and um and yes yeah, so, uh, so they just 
Yeah, it was it was a very confusing time for the company. This this WrestleMania was very weird. It certainly reeks of Triple H going, oh, if there's anyone who can get Roman over, it's me. You know what I mean? It's like, put the belt on me, I'll I'll make the crowd tick, and that fail miserably. But anyway, night after the Rumble, we've got um that great do-gooder you were referencing earlier, Vince McMahon, because he decides that uh, Triple H would is going to defend his newly won title at WrestleMania against the winner of a triple threat match between Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, and Dean Ambrose. And that's going to be at the next pay-per-view fast lane. And this is where we get the sort of first seeds of Brock and Ambrose at Mania, because um, obviously they do a lot of promos for this triple threat match. And um, Mox has even said he went off script, got in Lesnar's face, created a, trying to create a buzz about a possible singles match with him and Brock. And um, the fans really reacted well to the promo because originally he, he said the original plan for Mania was supposed to be him and Jericho, but he was so desperate for this Brock match, he decided to go off script and um, really get him in Lesnar's face for this one. And fast lane match, obviously we're not going to go in depth on that one, the three-way, decent match. Um, this number one contenders match. Roman gets booed out of the building, obviously. Going back to the Shield connection, him and Roman work together to take out Brock, powerbombing through two tables. Ambrose really, really over in this match. Um, of course, though, he eats the pin to lose to Roman because Brock wasn't losing, Roman wasn't losing. So I suppose Dean had to take uh, the pinfall here, Dicky. Yeah, um, and and just just to uh, underscore what you said about Chris Jericho and Ambrose, yeah, Moxley saying that it was supposed to be him and Jericho at at Mania. It was supposed to be Lesnar versus Bray Wyatt, and 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 Dave wrote in the Observer at this time that the original plan for this match was that Bray Wyatt was to to do a run in and actually cost Lesnar this match. but it was it was changed late, and I think it was due to uh, a lot of the the lobbying from from one Mister Dean Ambrose um, to to get this match, and and that is that is what they went with, and I think it was the right choice. I mean, it was definitely the right choice. He was um, he you know coming off that Royal Rumble match, um, it was it was phenomenal, and he was definitely had some momentum behind him and he's the kind of guy that you know he can lose and 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 doesn't lose anything um so him him taking the pinfall in this didn't really matter people hated roman and and uh and and dean stayed quite hot and popular kind of moving moving forward and and that would obviously lead to just a you know an an amazing program with lesnar <laughs> so right fol- i mean i imagine so right right that's what happened well, i well, don't see the, the rest of it that's the general idea yeah because the following yes, night okay. on on raw at 22nd of february in detroit ambrose arrives to the arena in a station wagon of all vehicles and <laughs> as soon as right he- mom driving <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It's like usually you get all these, you know, superstars arriving either in a limo or some like American muscle car, and there he is in a, in a station wagon. Was, was it a wood panel station wagon from the eighties? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what was worse as well. He was wearing this zip-up hoodie that you look like you'd you'd buy at Target or something. Like you know, like the, like, like that. thanks. 
thankfully that wasn't his actual aesthetic during this run. Like he was wearing like the leather jackets and all that sort of stuff. But in this episode of Raw, he looked like shit. He looked like a he looked like a loser, and I think maybe they turn around. And like, Can I look a little bit tougher at least? Can I at least wear a leather jacket? I think I think we've uh, discovered, and especially if you actually look at his um, Halloween, his actual Mox's actual Halloween costume this year, where he just chucked a sheet over his head, and um, maybe so he was he didn't get recognised. I think he's 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 in the Mick Foley school of. Um, yeah, I'll just wear whatever freebies GCW and AEW give me, and um, you know, I'll save my money and not uh, not spend it on clothes and stuff, which is fine. But it's it's definitely in that Mick Foley sort of like aesthetic, I think. Uh, he must be sitting on like a, a gold mine with the way he uh, he's frugal with his money, man. Respect. Yeah, definitely. So he arrives in the station wagon. As soon as he gets out of the car, Lesnar attacks him, slams him onto a nearby limo, and he's carted off to a hospital. Later in the show, Heyman and Brock are in the ring, saying Ambrose shouldn't have pissed off Brock. Ambrose arrives back at the arena driving an ambulance, Steve Austin style. He drags himself out of the ambulance over to Brock, but Brock just steps over him. Gets on the mic, says he's indestructible, and says he wants Lesnar at Mania in a no-holds-barred street fight. Brock F5s him. Not a bad start, I didn't think, to start an angle. Typical sort of, like, wrestling angle here, you know, obviously showing Mox has got a lot of fighting spirit and he's willing to do anything to get this match with uh, Lesnar. So, as much as there was some bad stuff to come, I didn't think this was too bad of a start for, um, sort of, like, a wrestling angle, Brandon. All right. You, they call this a street fight, but I, I, my beef with these street fights is none of them take place in the streets. And, and Brock Lesnar, <laughs> Brock, he didn't even look like he was ready for a street fight. He looked like he was going to an MMA fight or something like that. Just, I mean, Ambrose looked like a freaking street fighter with, with his gear and, and whatnot. But come on, man. Like, at least tape the fist, you know? Wear the jeans over the knee pads, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it should have been in the, in the Texas streets, right? Or, or the, like the Black Top Bully. Yeah, I would have preferred <laughs> that to what we actually got. Uh, I, look, I I disagree with you. I thought this was maybe it's just recency bias, but I like. Oh, I, I think you could you could have made Dean look like less of a geek. Oh, man. In this in this whole thing, like I know, like they were going for exactly what, yeah, they they were going for what you said that they were going for, which is like fighting spirit and all this sort of stuff. But like he's a lunatic, he's crazy, he's not <laughs> like th- this made it sound like he was he was dumb, you know, he was just like continued to walk into a fire that just kept burning him, and he just didn't care. That's kind of dumb, as opposed to you know, crafty and, and all that sort of stuff. Like it didn't make me think that Dean Ambrose had a chance of beating him. It just made me think, oh, he won't make, maybe he won't be murdered in the match. <laughs> no, I no, I, I kind of get what you're saying, but I do think it, it showed sort of like, you know, he was willing to do anything to get the match rather than him just running into a burning building. Yeah. I, uh, I don't I really don't... to do anything in the auspices of a WWE ring. Yeah. It's very limited. <laughs> this is true. As in long as Brock uh, agrees to it. Yeah. In this time period. Yeah. Uh, but we have a bit of a sidebar. So we have this angle set up mania, but do we have got another pay-per-view in between then and mania? 
So they kind of forget about each other as Ambrose challenges Triple H to a match at Roadblock, which kind of makes you think, what was the point in the three-way number one contenders match if he could just challenge him for a shot at the title anyway? And then Lesnar, as you mentioned earlier, Dickie was originally supposed to face Bray Wyatt at Mania, so he has a match with Bray Wyatt at the same event um, as Brock had been eliminated from the Rumble by the Wyatts. Um, I actually watched the robot match. I actually couldn't remember that this match had taken place against Triple H for the title. Um, just not a bad match considering sort of like the standard of Triple H matches around this time. And um, Ambrose actually had him pinned at one point, but the foot was under the rope and Triple H, win- Triple H wins. So second loss in a row on pay-per-view for our boy. Um, not the best way to uh, build him up as a, as a huge threat to Lesnar here. But I suppose... Um, if you've got all these pay-per-views in between the Rumble and Mania, you know, you've got to fill them out with something. Because obviously no one was being fooled that um, Ambrose was going to win the title off uh, Triple H here. Well, were they really dicky? No. And uh, there's no, there's not going to be any story time with Dicky t- today in this episode uh, in, in Mox's book. Uh, but he does go into uh, uh, quite a bit of detail about this match in his book. So much so that I, I can't really read it because it's like 10 pages long. Um, I would encourage people, if you have a copy of the book, to um, to have a read of it because he he, he lays it out quite well and he, he really does go into the details of, of kind of answering the questions that we have, like, why is this happening? No one's going to believe he's going to win. What happens if he does win? all these sorts of things. Um, But he absolutely loved this match. Uh, Even, yeah, he loved this match against Triple H, uh, but a lot of it was more just to do with the fact that they didn't even have a finish uh, with about five minutes before the match, um, which is similar to another match that we'll be talking about on, on this, but mm. the difference is that uh, this is a um, this is a house show that was retrofitted to become a pay per view, yeah. a network special, I believe, what they were calling it at the time, um, and uh, and yeah, Ambrose Moxley was saying that he loves the house show vibe and he loves going in there, facing big opponents, knowing he's going to lose, but really just kind of calling it in the ring. And that's sort of what they did here. And he thought that the the the, the bite, you know, ha- having him pinned was uh was was sort of pure brilliance. People people really thought he was he was gonna win. Uh, that's what he says in his book. And, uh, you know, that was his job was to, to make people believe. So to him, it was a huge success to me. Um, you know, I remember watching it at the time and, and, you know, the whole show at the time and it was fun. Um, but it was, uh, I guess it was a, the, a roadblock on the road to, to WrestleMania. We, we were in the fast lane to WrestleMania and then we had to stop because it was a roadblock. <laughs> and once we're after that, we were at WrestleMania. Boom, boom. A roadblock to WrestleMania. But um, So we have Raw the night after roadblock, March 14th in Pennsylvania. Ambrose comes out. He said he should be WWE champion now, and Triple H shouldn't have underestimated him and didn't show him respect. And he still beat you. So... <laughs> <laughs> 
He moves on to WrestleMania and his opponent. Lesnar comes out. Heyman says he's the only thing standing between Ambrose and a beating. Ambrose says, I don't need no protection. Heyman asks, why are you provoking Buck? Ambrose returns with, he's doing his bouncy thing. He looks like he wants to come down and fight right now. Heyman says, don't be daft, but Brock wants some. Ambrose goes for Brock with a crowbar, but Lesnar walks off and stares him down. Then later in the show, this is when this is when the more memorable stuff starts, the really goofy stuff, the stuff that people remember about this match, the stuff that Moxley's talked about quite a bit after this said match. Uh, Ambrose is backstage, just hanging out, and Mick Foley shows up and says, him and Brock is just a bad idea, says Ambrose is going to get hurt. Dean says, what about when you were on the Hell in a Cell? Weren't you terrified? And Foley says, of course I was, but that's what I do. Ambrose says, I'm the same. Foley says, he wants Dean to go into his deep, dark past and give, and he hands him a big red box, walks away, pulls a big red box off, and inside is a barbed wire bat. I mean, this box that Foley handed him was, <laughs> was the least threatening box I've ever seen. It looked like, you know, sort of like a big Christmas present, and inside was a barbed wire bat, Brandon. <laughs> Which he would use it in, in the mat in the match, and he really didn't use it. <laughs> he, he, he had like he was like a pinch hitter. He was like a Jake Cave in, in the NLCS, and he had one swing of the of the, of the pitch, and uh, he flew out <laughs> to end the game. That was that was Dean that was Dean Ambrose with the with the barbed wire bat. It was such a useless prop. Like it, it, met, it had some sentimentality, and I guess like uh, what was he gonna do? What was he gonna do to Brock with it? Like kill him or whatever in, in a WWE ring PG era? Come on, man! Come on, man! Nobody nobody's not nobody's that naive to believe that, right? That he was actually gonna make him uh, gut him open like a pit like a stuffed pig? No way! Come on, man! Absolutely ridiculous. Exactly, and I yeah. think that was the whole issue with the with these weapons. It was being given, Dicky. Yeah, well, this was the, the, it was quite the whole thing was very bipolar because just what you just what you were saying, Brandon. I mean, it's the PG era, so they kind of go between like, yeah, here's a barbed wire bat and a chainsaw, but 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 we but hold on, we have to make it, we have to make it goofy and fun because you're the lunatic and you know you're crazy you're not crazy you're crazy you know that's that's the difference but that the, they tried to kind of push it in one direction before like going oh no way it's gonna it's gonna be like this sort of thing you know it's it, it's all over this 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 match uh this this build and everything um, but I like this, this segment, uh, the segment before that you were talking about with the, he pulls the crowbar out of his jacket as Brock sort of starts walking. Like, that's the kind of thing that I was like, yes, that's what you should be doing. You should be like, yeah, yeah, you want to fuck with me now? Yeah, come on, come on. Not just like, oh, I'm turning up in an ambulance so you can just keep beating <laughs> me up or, or whatever, you know, like, so I, 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 I kind of enjoyed that bit. Um, the, the, I think the behind I think the stuff with Mick was was okay. I got a soft spot for, for Mick Foley and I enjoyed the the parallels between Mick's career and 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 uh and and Dean's uh match. 
the next thing that we'll talk about it was, is <laughs> just on another level, really. He should have he should have gave him like a uh, and a, he should have made him an Italian sub and put a file in it. Maybe that would have thrown off the scent. Well, I guess he's going to break it. Is he wouldn't be trying to Is that what they serve at Jimmy John's, Brandon? <laughs> Brandon, he he wouldn't. Uh, uh, Dean Ambrose wouldn't be trying to break out of prison for another three years after this. So out of the Ambrose asylum, right? That's it. <laughs> so moving on to SmackDown, which is March seventeenth in Ohio. So we're in Mox's home state here. So no Lesnar, which is obviously a theme trying to build up a match when the other guy's not there <laughs> for the majority of the time, and then. Um, Dean takes us through his Cincinnati upbringing and how his rough upbringing will prepare him for Lesnar. And, oh, my God, I completely forgotten about this. Everyone remembers the Foley and the funk stuff. But this is an awful segment because he takes us around town and sort of stops off a bar and he's having a laugh with all these guys. And it's like some kind of weird travel blog here because he's going like, oh, I'm here and then I'm here. And then he's like, oh, look what a great town it is. And I kind of didn't get the feeling that it was a, a, a mean city or at all, Dickie. It just looked like a, a laugh at a great place to go for a night out. So this is the one where he goes to the bar, right? Yeah, he, he, there's a couple of segments where he goes to a bar on SmackDown and Raw. Yeah. So he's at, he's at, he's, he's at this bar and he's just like hanging out and there's some people, there's like a couple of people behind and they're just like, you know, whatever. And I look at the date I look at the date on the on the video of what the date was of this episode of Raw or SmackDown or whatever it was, and it was March 17th. And I was like, is that your St. Patrick's Day parties that you guys have over in, in, in the US? Brandon, come on. That was the lamest thing I've ever seen. I mean, Martin and I are ashamed of you. <laughs> You don't well. The main one is in Chicago, where they paint the where they they, they uh turn the water green, right? That's it's it's pretty. Okay, and they do that's just for St. Patrick's Day, or is that just kind of a normal Chicago thing? Oh, St. Patrick's Day, and and, and you okay. got the you got the running of the Santa Clauses coming up in, in, in two weeks out 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 our way. So. <laughs> the running of the Santa Clauses. What is that? It's is that like running to the Bulls, and, and you have to try and get away from all these. Large it's everyone, Santa Claus. It's when everyone dresses up like Santa Claus and 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 slutty Santa Claus and go around bar hopping. But and uh, oh, okay. Bye. I had something else in mind. But but anyway, slutty Santa Claus should, sound better. Dean should have taken <laughs> the camera people to like an IWA Mid South show or show a real hardcore match or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a way better idea than what they did here with this little travel <laughs> blog he does, giving you a tour of like Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, he didn't. He talk about, and and maybe I'm mixing up my geographies and and timelines and stuff. But he obviously uh, started working at a at a local a local promotion in Cincinnati uh, when he was 16, and he was what did he say, serving popcorn and sweeping floors and stuff. And then something about Les Thatcher. I don't know if the two are, are combined, but we we could have at least gone there maybe and seen this like, you know. This place would make you fearful for Brock Lesnar, I reckon, if you saw where he trained. Yeah, exactly. Him doing sort of like getting stretched out by Les Thatcher or something like that. Yeah, doing a bit of sort of like going back to his his old stomping ground. They couldn't get the lunatic. 
<laughs> You're the lunatic. <laughs> they couldn't get Gregory Iron to make a cameo? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on to Raw on the 21st of March. And um, Brandon knows this place very well in Philadelphia, his old stomping ground. And um, <laughs> Dean is in the uh, Philadium Tavern. Have you ever, have you ever, been, have you ever uh, been drinking here, Brandon? I have not. <laughs> no, I, have not. I uh, Google must have lied to me. It told me it was a really famous bar in Philly, so it must have must have passed you by. Um, he he says Brock doesn't have what it takes to beat him, and the camera pans back, and we see he's talking to Terry Funk. R.I.P. Legend that is Terry Funk. Funk goes on this huge diatribe, and essentially says Mox is crazier than a fox in a hen house. And then gives him his chainsaw from his old chainsaw Charlie days. Ambrose then fires up the chainsaw and starts to cut through a table as patrons in the uh, bar look terrified. And as much as this was goofy, I absolutely laughed my head off watching this. I sort of vaguely remember watching it at the time, but this is like a skit from some kind of sitcom. There's Am- the camera's zooming into Mox's face and he's like going, ooh, yeah, and, you know, re- reacting to everything Terry Funk's done. But yeah, just like something out of a sitcom. <laughs> the fact that he hands him a chainsaw and it's like anybody, you know, with half a brain thinks like, yeah, he's not really going to be using that in a match against Brock Lesnar Dickey. Yeah. Uh... I mean, I, I, no, I mean, of course not. All I can, all I can think of is like back in the Attitude Era when Chainsaw Charlie was, you know, wrestling matches and had a chainsaw, like what was he doing with them? You know, obviously he wasn't cutting people's limbs off and stuff, but I mean, you could sort of wave it around quite a bit at Road Dog and yeah, Bill didn't he? Yeah, exactly. So, so, so Dean could have waved it around a little bit. But my, the the funniest part in this whole video was like listening to um, listening to 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 Terry Funk, you know, doing his basically doing his promo and and, and Ambrose's yeah, and, and just over the top of of Terry Funk doing his promo, you hear Michael Cole in the background kind of faintly just be like, it's Terry Funk. And it's just like, he said this probably about 35 seconds into the promo. And it's like, it's almost like Vince went on the thing and went, God damn it, Cole, people don't know who the fuck that is. <laughs> you know, it's like, say something. And it's like, it's like, yeah, it's t- like, of course it's Terry Funk. And if it's not Terry Funk, like what even if you if you don't know it's Terry Funk, then what's the point of Michael Cole saying it's Terry Funk and, and talking over the man while he's actually like, doing his promo? I just thought it was preposterous. And also another thing of look how far something has come in this time. I mean, Michael Cole is so much better these days than he was during this era. Fuck IW, IWC Michael Cole. Exactly. <laughs> he would have fucking been talking about CCW all throughout this build if it was the, your 2023 Michael Cole. They would have shot they would have shot the Moxley bar at the at Patty's, the home of the Always Sunny. Great bar, great wings, man, by the way. Do you own shares in this bar? Yeah, or... nice plug there. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> 228 Race Street. <laughs> all right, what's their phone number? <laughs> Who rings bars these days? What's their website? <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm open to a sponsorship there, but if uh, <laughs> I'm sure you'll be all heading there for uh, for uh, for Mania next year. Um, 
But anyway, while I was researching this, I uh, discovered that Mox had actually been on uh, live audio wrestling leading up to WrestleMania 32, and he actually talked about with a uh, with our good friend John Pollock. Um, talking about terry funk and um he said it was obviously really cool working with funk um you know he was a huge fan of his and everything and um he thought that funk probably walked into we and had absolutely no idea what was going on and was like what is all this crap but terry funk's a professional isn't he so as soon as the red light goes on you know he instantly became terry funk so i thought that was a, a cool little tidbit because obviously Mox, you know, no secret, hugely influenced by Terry Funk. So it was great that he, he got to work with, um, you know, as much as he might have resented the actual skit they got involved in. I, I'm sure he was quite happy to have been working with one of his heroes here. But moving on from that, and we're on to SmackDown on the 24th of March in Boston. And Brock's back here. Eamon cuts a promo saying that Brock is going to take Ambrose to Suplex City. He calls Dean out and the Wyatts come out. And while they're facing off with Brock, Ambrose enters and attacks Bray with a kendo stick as Brock suplexes Braun Strowman. Brock then breaks Dean's kendo stick and F5s him. So another <laughs> another way we're making uh, Dean look like nothing. You know, he's he's already breaking his weapons and, uh, and F5ing him here. Um, kind of a bit of a nothing thing, that one. Uh, just sort of like to, you know, fill some airtime i imagine the big one and i know dickie's been dying to talk about this one is uh the go home for mania which is raw on the 28th of march in brooklyn uh Eamon and lesnar are out in the ring Eamon says that not even a lunatic could survive against lesnar in a no hold barred match ambrose interrupts them walks to the ring with a little red wagon behind him the, the famous red wagon um he doesn't say anything Walks around the ring, filling up the car with a steel pipe, a chainsaw, other weapons. And then he takes that car and leaves. Terrible. Looks like a fucking duck on here, Dickie, with that wagon. Goofy as hell. And that was the uh, go-home for um, this big no-holds-barred street fight at Mania. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it's no I mean, balls, but... <laughs> I mean, what, 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 welcome to my house, baby, can you go? Her? This is the theme song for WrestleMania. So I'm not surprised that it all just ends up being a big fucking laugh. Just take the piss, you know, little red wagon. I just don't understand because it's not, the typical little red wagon, like if you Google little red wagon in the image searches, you know, you get that little, it's like tin and it's, it's quite shallow. And, you know, usually there's like a small child in it or something and it's quite, or some puppies or, you know what I mean? This mm. was an industrial sized wagon, like one that I get from my hardware store that I actually have underneath my house for my property but they painted it red. So they went out of their way to make this thing that actually could have looked like it, it would have been majorly better if it was a bit of a badass like wagon that he was, it's still stupid, but at least it wasn't red. Like, it, you know, it had these big tires and everything on it and stuff, but they specifically painted it red just because I lol, I guess. I don't know. Like, just miserable. 
Brandon, I don't know how you could have made this any better. It was just anything. It didn't matter about the color of the wagon. It made it obviously painting it red made it look worse. It made it look like a, a kid's, a child's wagon that they put all their toys in. It just didn't work at all, did it? Oh, Whose idea was this? <laughs> um, that man, Vince McMahon, apparently, according to uh, Mox himself. <laughs> oh my god, this is horrible! Like a red wagon that an eight-year-old would would use to go to the park or to the be- to the or to the beach to play with his friends, and and, and you, we have a grown-ass man pulling it out for. <laughs> So meaningless, so toned up, so horrible. I don't know. I don't know how they filled that stadium up for WrestleMania to watch this shit. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> what they should have done if it was a no holds bar match is just pay tribute to the movie No Holds Bar and dress up like Rip Thomas. <laughs> Who'd be that, that's actually a really fucking good idea. <laughs> Who'd be Hogan and who'd be a tiny lister? I mean, clearly Moxley would be Zeus, right? Because uh, he, he, like in the movie, uh, Moxley dies in, in the ring. <laughs> but he does kick out at, at three and a half to maintain his heat. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I mean, before we get into the match itself, though, obviously, Mox has spoken at length about how much he hated the build for this, how he had loads of ideas and, you oh, know, he wasn't getting listened to and... You know, so before we actually get into the match, I mean, we've got a. He originally brought this up on Steve Austin's podcast that was um, the same year, I think, and a, a couple of months after WrestleMania 32. And obviously, that pod has gone down as one of the most awkward interviews, you know, similar to when me and Brandon were talking earlier and I was asking him about his jobs, and everyone thought there was something up with Mox. And we are going to do a deep dive on that whole show on a future episode, but. As far as this match is concerned, it was the first time Mox talked about his frustrations with the Lesnar match, saying Brock didn't want to do anything and blamed Lesnar's laziness, not being as good as he'd hoped it would be. Um, Brandon, any specific memories of sort of like that period of the podcast? I think that was one of the main talking points coming out of the Steve Austin podcast, apart from, you know, obviously the awkwardness of the interview. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you were saying, uh, I mean, he, I mean, I don't blame. I mean, for Moxley, for uh, Amber's and during that interview, like, I mean, it, it came off as awkward and back then, and like you, you would, you would aside with Stone Cold and whatnot, and maybe some people would, but I mean, you kind of sympathize with with Amber's because like he feels like a a tragic figure because I mean we know him now and he's pr- he's a pretty creative dude and whatnot, but. uh I mean, I'm sure he had some killer ideas for, I mean, you're wrestling Brock Lesnar and, and I'm sure he had some really good ideas and Brock being the, the, the jerk, the jerk off superstar that he is, uh, uh, and has the ear of Vince probably didn't probably wanted to do, uh, do it his way and not, not go for the ride with, with, uh, this young whippersnapper, uh, Dean Ambrose. Uh, I, I, I empathize with, uh, Looking back, looking now, I empathize with Ambrose. So after that, a few years later in 2019, after he'd left WWE and made his debut for AEW, Mox appeared on the PW Torch with Wade Keller to talk about a variety of subjects. Um, He said he'd he'd earned the match by forcing it through and 
um, Lesnar was a dream opponent for him, and he said the office, you know, he knew the office weren't going to yell at Brock uh, as much as they would at anybody else, and he knows they don't allow blood, and they could get some hard wage use, similar to what um, Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton had done, and that he thought Brock would be on the same page as him, but it turned out he thought Brock was just, Brock thought he was just doing him a favour by agreeing to do the match at all, and we're going to play a clip now, obviously the full interview is on Pro Wrestling Torch, you know, about three hours of Mox Talk and a variety of subjects, pwtorch.com. Brilliant interview. Certainly check it out if you've um if you haven't heard it before. Like and in the weeks leading up, I'm like, because this is the thing, it's a street fight. It's not like a match you can just call in a ring. It's a street fight at WrestleMania. So we gotta get stunts approved, set up, we gotta get the right props for table bumps or whatever stuff we're going to do, you know? Uh, and, you know, I, I pitched all this stuff to everybody, all the producers, and I feel like I'm just getting ignored. Because, like, our match wasn't important to any of the producers or writers or Vince. They just, like, they they gave me enough to give me the match, but they didn't give me any help to, like, make it a good angle or, like, make it, like, a hotter thing people want to see. And I and you know, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we all these different stunts and stuff? Like I'm ready to die in the ring. I'm like <laughs> I'm ready to take I'm ready to take the worst. I'm not trying to put Brock through abuse. I'm trying to take the worst beating in the history of the world. Like I'm ready to be. I'm like if he kills me, great. I'll go down as a legend. You know, I was ready to do anything. Like, um. But in the weeks leading up, you know, the angle is not good. Brock's not even there half the time. We don't do anything interesting. The the week before, in the go home in Brooklyn, I carry a little red wagon to the ring <laughs> and fill it with weapons. I go into Vince's office. I'm mortified, mortified, and I'm like, "Yo, I'm going, I'm going to face Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. Like, I'm going to my death." Like, this is so serious. And you got me dragging a little red wagon. I like, make me understand. And he's like, oh, you, uh, you know, it's dead serious to you. You know, you're just going to drag that white weapon out there. You're not even going to look at him. He's going to drag the wagon out, put your weapons in. I'll see you at WrestleMania. I'm like, (laughs) I couldn't convince him otherwise. So I'm like, okay. I tried to do it exactly the way he saw it. And like, so I remember right after that segment, I said to Brock, I was like, dude, I, I, I get to Dallas like tomorrow. I don't know, whenever, whenever you want to talk, like I got, you know what I mean? I've, like, I'm like, dude, like what, I'll be, whatever you need, call me at midnight. I'll come over. We'll, you know what I mean? Like, and he, and he just goes, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Just don't worry about anything. It's gonna That's be your impression. Fine. We have one scheduled rehearsal at like, 11 p.m. Saturday night, the day before the show, at the stadium, because he never even came to the hotel. He didn't get in until late Saturday night. So I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, that's pretty late, but, you know, whatever. But we have, like, but we end up not even doing that, because he's like, we don't need to do that. Mm. We have one conference call. It's like me, Michael Hayes, Jamie Noble, and uh, Brock and Paul Heyman. It's a conference call on Wednesday. Because he's not in Dallas yet. And I'm just in Dallas, just waiting. And I can't, you know, none of my ideas are approved yet. Brock hasn't even heard any of my ideas because he hasn't, he doesn't care, hasn't been around. Um, 
I remember the night before this conference call, I wanted to run them all, run it all by Jamie Noble, the producer, one of the, one of the two producers on the match. And so we meet up like in like uh, we're in the hotel in some kind of landing stairwell or something like above the bar or whatever, you know, at night. And I'm like, dude, check it out. And I lay out like my ideas, you know, whatever they were. And, uh, and but the, I was really trying to get thumbtacks approved. And I had, I had Vince, because I texted him, can I have one thumbtack bump, please? And he said, maybe with a smiley face. And I <laughs> thought that was, I was like, yes, I'm going to get it. Because it's the first, the first thumbtack bump, I'm going to take it. You know, I'm not asking him to, but I was like, yeah. So whatever it was I had at the end, I'm like, yeah, then finally, you know, he can't put me, well, whatever. He's fucking, just fucking F5 and the fucking thumbtack, whatever. And I got, I'm on his back and it's choking him. And then he fucking puts me in a fucking final F5 and a fucking thumbtack. And then it fucking, he doesn't even bother covering me this time. He just fucking puts me in like the head and arm choke. He gave Shane Carlin and UFC and he just fucking <laughs> chokes me out and my fucking arms up in the air and it's starting to fucking fade. And then I can flip the bird, and then it slowly fades. My arm drops, and he just chokes me to death. Like after putting me through the most power bombing me and thumbtacks and f five me through and every thing, uh, you know whatever it was. I don't know if that was a good finish or whatever. He hated it. Um, like I even had an idea where I was like, what if like for the weeks leading up to it, I start ankle locking people, like heel hooking people the way Frank Mir did to him. Like, I'm studying mm. all the fights. And I was like, I live in Vegas. Frank Mir lives in Vegas. I was like, I'll even go to Frank Mir's gym, and we'll do, like, a thing where he's teaching me the ways of the heel hook. We, you know? I mean, I had all these crazy ideas, you know, those yeah. cool stuff, but nobody wanted to put any effort into it, except me. You know, I was just, it was like, I was invisible for, like, that whole build-up and the weeks leading up to it during the week. So we had this conference call. And I remember, like, I was telling you, you know, I'm on the floor rolling around. I'm in, like, a Kimura and stuff explaining all this stuff to Jamie and Jamie's like, dude, I got goosebumps. He's like, this is going to be the greatest match ever. Oh my God. Jesus. <laughs> like, I know this is going to be awesome. So like the conference call comes, I lay it all. Nobody says anything. I said, okay, here are all my ideas. And I give ev like every idea I've had for the past three weeks that nobody wants to listen to. Brock's probably not even listening. And he just goes, I mean, I don't, I don't think we need all that stuff. I mean, all that extra gimmicks and stuff. I mean, you know, it's a simple story. I mean, look, we got a suplex city. Then you get your hands on a weapon, you make a comeback. And I'm like, and there's the thing I kept saying throughout the weeks. I kept going, what are the weapons? And it's like, well, you got a kendo and a chair. You can't do any tables because those are safe for other people that are more important than my match. Can't, you know? No stunts, no, you know, nothing, you know. So like it just was like, so like the then it, so I'm like oh fuck. So I just keep hoping like the day of something's gonna happen, you know. That's <laughs> awesome. Like so once we get out there, it'll be some magic because we had like magic in the three way we had before and like the little promo we did, you know, it was there. Now the angle is kind of goofy, but like something could happen, you know. He just sounds so... Fr I just feel so sorry for him. Obviously, he goes into more depth uh, uh, about different things. But I just feel... All those ideas he had with Frank Mir and all that other stuff, it just sounded like it would have been a 10 times better match. And even that bit where he says about the weapons, so what's the point? 
in in receiving all these weapons from other people, like in in filling up his red wagon with all these weapons, if they can only use a fucking kendo and a chair, it's just he just that's three years after the match, and he still sounds so frustrated with everything that happened there, Brandon. Ah, it, it, it's the epitome of frustration. This guy has so many good ideas, and, and Brock is just like this snobby ass uh, top of the top of the food chain uh, elite talent didn't want to go for the ride and uh, make it make a match even more awesome at WrestleMania of all shows he, he's basically coasting right it, not gonna help Dina get over and whatnot so yeah guy watching the match now I mean watching the match is just it, I mean it was horrible it sucked but uh, I mean from from Moxley's vantage point, like uh, it would it would have been twenty thirty times better if, if there was like a a heel hook uh, <laughs> fighting the heel hook off or what. It would have been sounded much cooler than than what we got. <laughs> Absolute shambolic uh, of a wrestling match. You know what what disappoints me more than anything is that after this debacle. No, actually, let's say before this debacle. You know, Brock, after he came back from being UFC champion and, and defeating diverticulitis, he wrestled people like The Big Show and Triple H and The Undertaker and John Cena. Uh, so he, up until this point, basically never, he hadn't had matches with The Underdog. All the other people that he faced were either, you know, were on his level, should we say, um, at least through being at the top of the card, like Triple H and CM Punk and The Undertaker, or through size, like Samoa Joe and The Big Show, let's say. So Dean was kind of like the first of his of his kind in, in this. And uh, Brock obviously didn't really know he didn't really think much of it. Now, what annoys me is that since this point in time, Brock has gone on to have matches with AJ Styles, with Daniel Bryan, with Finn Balor, with Rey Mysterio, who are of all of who are all of that same or cut from that same cloth of the smaller underdog. You don't believe that they're going to win. And he had fantastic matches with those guys. And do you know why he had fantastic matches with those guys? Because he basically ended up doing these ideas, not not verbatim, but the idea that, you know, you didn't play on the the clip, uh, I believe, unless I tuned out, um, which was, you know, the idea at the end where he – Brock actually said, oh, actually, that's a really good idea, which was right at the start of the match, Dean Ambrose was going to break out the, the mace and, and spray it in his face, and then people would be like, oh, shit, he's going to win. And this is like this ended up becoming a formula for, for Brock facing the little guys. And I can't remember exactly all of those matches with those smaller guys I remember they were fantastic. But the one I remember is against Finn Balor, where Finn Balor's uh, finisher is the coup de grace, where he jumps off the top rope and stomps you in the gut. Now, 
is the gut an area of concern for Brock Lesnar? Well, yes, it is because of the diverticulitis. And that match was based around Finn Balor attacked the diverticulitis that Brock has not had for several years since, but it was believable. You know, he threw him into the corner of the announce table, right into his gut, you know, and stuff like this. And it was just like, yes, that is how you do these matches with Brock. And that is how Dean Ambrose, John Moxley was pitching to do it. And Brock was just like, no, we don't need any of that gimmicky stuff. (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant impersonation of of Brock, by the way. Um, so it it is it is very upsetting because we would obviously come to realize it, it many years later, at least if you hadn't figured it out already, that John Moxley is an incredibly creative, thoughtful person. Whether it's in his promos or his matches, and this is one of those what if kind of things because this could have been, this could have stolen the show. And he wanted to steal the show, but I believe that it absolutely could have if they'd gone down the the route that, that John Moxley wanted, wanted it to go. You can almost imagine him on that conference call, like rolling all over the floor, giving all these ideas, and everyone's just like, oh my God, this guy doesn't realize that this, we all just think this is a throwaway match. And yeah, it's just, it must have been so frustrating for him. Because yeah, like you said about the sprained mace in the eyes, and when they said, oh, that's a cool idea, it was too late for the prop department to come up with anything. So they had to throw that idea out out of the I window. Think, do you do you think if they if they had a match today, it would have... Uh... It would have been it would have been better than than this monstrosity. Uh, well, well, hold on, hold on, because this was Dean Ambrose versus Brock Lesnar. Are you saying if John Moxley had a match against yeah. Brock yeah. Lesnar? Well, that's a different story because I don't think he's an underdog going into this. I think this is two big men fucking having a. This is like a heavyweight fight, you know. This is you know Stipe versus. Francis kind of kind of fight, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's a different. If it would happen today, it's just not the same uh, circumstances, shall we say? Yeah, and obviously Mox is would be a lot more confident in saying, "No, we're not doing just whatever you want to do. We're we're going to do what I want to do as well." Because you mentioned all those people Brock did face, but CM Punk's perfect example. Them two had a brilliant match. At, uh, was it SummerSlam that year? And you, you know, he could have had a similar sort of match with Moxley here, but yeah, he just he just sounds so frustrated here. Do you, do you think Brock was more focused on sort of getting back into UFC at this point, Brandon? Because obviously he did appear at UFC 200 this year, didn't he? Yeah, I, I, I guess he was uh, burning two, uh, uh, burning candles at both ends of uh, whatever, whatever that saying is. But uh, <laughs> burning both ends. He, of the was, he was probably doing something else as well at this time. Yeah, well, to, to prepare of uh, hormones and growth hormone and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I would imagine he uh, his focus is no, not 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 allegedly, man. That was proven, right? <laughs> But yeah, I, I would imagine yeah he was he was focused on not getting hurt in the ring and uh, trying to get that big payday for UFC 200. I mean, he made eleven million dollars apparently, uh, according to uh, that that report today. So uh, in the UFC, so uh, I mean, uh, he he knows how to make money. 
One other thing I wanted to point out, Martin, was because you'd said, um, you know, uh, Moxley uh, suggested getting hard way like they did with Randy Orton. That match hadn't happened yet. Right. That was later in the year. That was after the UFC comeback. Randy was out of action at this point, and that was his return match. They stole that idea from him. Yeah. As they did with the mace later on, yeah. Oh, yeah, because he does bring up in the interview, doesn't he? He's like, oh, I wanted to do hardware like what he did with Randy. So, yeah, was, the match hadn't even happened yet. Oh, I totally forgot about T- that. Typical Jericho, man. He knew it. <laughs> what? I mean, typical uh, Jericho. Why did, I get, <laughs> why did I get that confused? I mean, Jericho was the one who, who got mad at Brock for... for uh getting hard way with uh or in that, that that oh yeah that. U- universal hard man chris jericho yeah he's <laughs> <laughs> gonna knock brock out weren't he oh yeah he choked out goldberg didn't he <laughs> <laughs> of course he did it it's like when he, he opened for metallica in front of a hundred thousand people at download he also opened up in front of a hundred thousand at Wembley too. So yeah, yeah that's right. He played. He, he played uh, yeah, Fozzie played uh, to at Wembley. Sold out. Yeah, incredible. Good old Jericho. <laughs> He's been in the business for too long, hasn't he? But anyway, <laughs> on onto the match itself. WrestleMania thirty two on the third uh, of April twenty sixteen, Arlington, Texas, reported as uh, eighty thousand. AT&T Stadium. 100,000? 80,000. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I kept hearing everyone in WWE saying it was over 100,000 people. But okay, yeah. Keep, keep going. <laughs> so wait, wait. So so this was the era of like one night WrestleManias, right? It wasn't the two-nighters that we're, we're, we're fortunate enough to deal with now. So this, this show was like... <laughs> this show was long. Seven hours long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the yeah, pandemic. The pandemic... Pandemic was what what brought on those two night manias. Um, mm. So yeah, yeah, this is the seven hour era. <laughs> yes, sadly for us Brits, when you when the show's finishing at half past seven in the morning, um, <laughs> you're like you're questioning your life choices at that <laughs> point. <laughs> um, when the you know when the postman's coming around. <laughs> So, yeah, well, I mean, we talked about earlier, obviously not remembered as the best main, you know, Shane McMahon came back and jumped off a hell in a cell with Undertaker. Um, yeah, not that really long as we just talked about that. I was actually chatting to Andrew Thompson because he was one of the few people I knew who actually went to this mania live and he actually said it, you know, because I thought it looked like a bit of a monstrosity, like these, you know, massive, gigantic stadium, but he said it's fantastic stadium to uh, watch this in, you know, great views from everywhere. They even had charging points for your phone and stuff like that. So, uh, so good on AT&T. Um, <laughs> cool. <laughs> at the time, obviously, watching this at the time, I thought the build was incredibly goofy, but they were promising this was going to be an all-out war, and I thought, wow, you know, dude, he's never lied to me before. This this match is going to be a, a war. Um Fourth match on the show, on commentary, we've got uh, uh, Michael Cole, JBL, and uh, Byron Saxton, and poor Byron, you know, whether you appreciated his commentary or not, you know, there were a few moments during this whole show where he was blatantly getting bullied live on air by JBL, um, which I imagine was uh, Vince directly in JBL's ear, poor old Byron. Interesting fact here, it's, sorry, Brandon. (laughs) Byron Byron knows how to take he knows how to roll with the punches so uh, you gotta give him respect for uh, 
taking uh <laughs> taking that bullshit from uh, JBL <laughs> and the stupid cowboy hat. Yeah, where I mean, is he now? I, I, I think maybe he could have stood up for himself, and maybe at least he'd maybe I don't know, be an impact or something. I don't know. Anyway, Ooh, Byron, he's working. He's, he's working backstage now, doing uh, the 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 dot com, right? I've wa- I watch Raw and SmackDown every week. I don't see this guy. I don't know where he's gone. <laughs> uh, you know, is he on NXT? I don't really watch that that much. I don't know. Brandy Rhodes in the Cayman Islands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with all these um, offshore accounts. Yeah. Mm. Um, so Brandy Rhodes is doing the ring announcing here. Mm. Not not a favorite role, was it? It was interesting to see her. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's uh, it's Brandy. But uh, look, Samantha Irvin, who they have now. I so much better than than Brandy. Oh, so. She's tremendous. Incredible. Yeah. Anyone cuts her off here for uh, Brock's intro, which was obviously standard at the time. You know, my person here, Brock Lesnar, or whatever he says. And, my uh, person here. <laughs> <laughs> What's it, his life partner or something? <laughs> this is my person. Um. Mox's entrance. What? What? So I want to. I want to have an episode where we talk all about Mox's different entrance themes, and obviously Davey Portman put a great intro music together. You know, intercutting all of Mox's entrance themes. What? Brandon, are you a fan of this uh, Dean Ambrose one here? The do do I actually, I actually dug it. I, I thought it was. I thought it was really. It's really, really good, especially with that one guitar riff in the. And then it's like, Dicky, <laughs> what about you? I Are you think, a fan of the uh, Lunatic Fringe uh, entrance music? Look, I think it serves its purpose, which is the first second that it plays, you know whose music it is. Yeah. This is really the key in uh, in WWE, something that they're failing miserably at now because some of these. I think it was like the Royal Rumble earlier this year, especially the Women's Royal Rumble. Ugh. You know, they, they would play some of these songs like because that's how that's the whole thing with the Royal Rumble. You hear the song and you're like, oh my god, that's it. So many times it's like, who the fuck is this? And it's like, oh, it's Shayna Baszler's new music, and it's just like, nope, no fucking idea. So that that uh, I'm not a very musical person, so I don't know the term, but. That just that first bit before it kicks into the song, uh, I think that's you know the pretty intro. much all you need. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> the technical Bro- term, the intro. <laughs> Not Brooks Jensen, man. Brooks Jensen's got the best song in WWE coming out the separate ways. <laughs> Who the fuck is Brooks Jensen? <laughs> Brandon's man. It's like, it's, like a, it's like an Armstrong brother. <laughs> is that is that Bull Buchanan's son? B B squares B squares child <laughs> coming out the separate ways. <laughs> anyway, back on track. Uh, yeah, look, I thought it was I, th- I thought it was fine, and it came from an era where the music was relatively good. At this point, um, I think it was like CFOs probably did this one or, or something, but it was of that time, and and they were they were all pretty good. Um, but yeah, that would it would be decline miserably from there. 
Yeah, I, I enjoy this theme tune. I actually prefer, um, I'm not a fan of Wild Thing, to be honest with you. I actually prefer, uh, that, what was it called, Unscripted Violence. I prefer that. Oh, I like his yeah. New Japan theme. His New Japan theme is way better than the Wild Thing. Yeah. I, th- I just think yeah. Wild Thing, it's, it doesn't have the same energy as sort of like this one or his original no. AEW theme. No. It's Tony Khan's, like, pension for getting, like, licensed music. But spending it's money, wo- yeah. <laughs> yeah, spending money, but it's got to work, and I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an Anita thing, right? Like, it's a yeah, I, I get to, that, and it would have worked for the for the death but, match against Kenny, but you didn't have to keep it full time. But I suppose yeah. Mox obviously wanted to. Yeah, um, it, outfit here, leather jacket over a hoodie, and he's uh, still rocking the bootcut jeans. I'm sure you'll please see Brandon. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, he looked like Chris Saban. With that hair, oh, he did actually. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, the uh, like a giant crusaven, not a vanilla (laughs) midget crusaven. So it's like not not quite a comb over yet, but um, it's 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 getting there, isn't it? Um, (laughs) Yeah, poor guy. Time to come home, Vox. Time to come home. (laughs) Yeah. Oh well, lost another one. Sucks to be bald. Anyway, Mark. See, um, another guy you could be following, Martin. <laughs> no, Brady's already on. been there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, match opens up. We are fully in Suplex City at this point. Mox has got a t-shirt on that says, you know, it's got the Suplex City thing, and he's put a uh, anarchist A on it to say Ambrose because he's crazy like that. And Lesnar hits a German Suplex early on. Then there's a second one. Then he hits the third one. And then uh, Ambrose rolls out to the floor. Ambrose attacks Lesnar with a kendo stick. Several shots to the body here, but Lesnar comes back with knee lifts, followed by two more German suplexes, which were the fourth and fifth of the match. Crowd starts to chant, let's go Ambrose, forward slash suplex city. And Dicky, at this point in the match, are you have you had enough of seeing um, Lesnar? I know it was over at the time, but have you had enough of seeing Lesnar in German suplexes? And we're only like two minutes into the match. Well, you know, JBL on commentary says Dean Ambrose might actually tap out to German suplexes, which I thought was a great way of putting over the guy who's got fighting spirit and who never gives up and all that sort of sort of stuff. Um, I can't remember if this is like before or after they actually started putting like the number up on the screens. No, in, no, they're doing it. This, they're doing it during this. They are? This is, this is the number. Yeah. So it's just a fucking gimmick. So for Brock to be like, oh, we don't need any of that gimmicky stuff. Like he's got the biggest dumb gimmick of all, which is just, I'm just going to suplex you. But look, this, um, I, so I remember watching this match at the time. I knew it was going to be boring going into it. So I, uh, I I decided to ask uh, Mrs. Dickey to watch it with me just because I might get some material out of her. I didn't think I'd get anything. You just, you just wanted uh, to torture her with this terrible match. She annoyed you. Yeah, that yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's right. Uh, I made her watch um, an episode of Thunder from the year 2000 afterwards. Um, but... <laughs> But uh, she she immediately when when uh, when Brock came out she said that uh, she said well, what else has he been in I was like what do you mean movies I'm like what do you mean what else has he been what has he been in she said X Men three I was like what 
Like, yeah, isn't that uh, the, the the guy, the, the juggernaut guy? Benny Jones. So, <laughs> yes, there you go. This is, this is what I've got for this match, but these are my notes, by the way. So, like, th- this is how much I thought this match sucked. It was boring. And probably the most beautiful thing my my partner said while watching this was she said, I don't know if this is a really stupid thing to say about a wrestling match, but it feels like these two just don't have any chemistry. And I was like, that's not a stupid thing to say at all. That is literally the whole problem with all of this that they just, they just didn't look like they really wanted to, they just didn't click. Um, But obviously as we find out through, through the interviews, you had one very willing participant and then one not so willing participant, who, by the way, didn't even look like he enjoyed taking those kendo sh- stick shots. So, like, if it was up to him, he would have said, "I don't even want that shit." Is like, because it got to a point where he just was stopped selling the kendo sticks mm. and was just like, "Should just stop already, for fuck's sake." <laughs> um, and then what annoy annoy me every time? Then Brock would walk over and look at the kendo stick. And then he'd kick it away. I'm like, okay. And then he'd go back to another kendo stick and he'd pick it up, look like he was going to use it. And then he'd snap it in half. It's like, yeah. what is this? What do we do? Like, what are you trying to tell us that you just, I guess you don't need to use weapons to kill this guy. I don't know. Just bore. I, I wrote here. My final note was this match sucked. So please don't <laughs> come back to me. Brandon. Yeah. It- it did really suck. I mean, th- there is no point in really going. I-, I started going through this match, but there really is no point in going through it. It's a load of German suplex. I think Brock gets about 14, 15 German suplexes. Ambro gets a bit of a comeback. Exactly what Brock said to him on the conference call or when he was saying, mm-hmm. oh, what can we do in this match? He hits him with a bunch of German suplexes. Ambrose, it's a couple of kendo stick shots. He he gets a fire extinguisher in Lesnar's face, followed by about eight body shots with a chair. Brock makes another comeback. Ambrose starts doing the Terry Funk thing where he starts, you know, throwing a load of chairs into the ring and then um Ambrose soup and then he gets suplexed into them. He actually gets the barbed wire bat out at one point, licks it or kisses it or does something with it, and then Lesnar it's a German suplex onto the chairs. One F5, and that's one, two, three. Uh, mercifully, 12 minutes and 49. I mean, this could have, you know, it could have been more Brock Lesnar suplexes and stuff like that, and it could have ended up going to 20 minutes, but, you know, mercifully, it was only 12 minutes. But, I mean, it even mentions it in the PW Torch interview, I think, that nobody at Mania kicked... Um, Everyone at Mania kicks out of like a couple of F5s and then <laughs> on the third or fourth one or whatever. But Moxley wasn't getting that, Brandon. It was just like, no, I'm going to hit you with one F5. I wonder if he called it in the rings. Moxley was probably like, oh, we can do some more stuff with the chairs. And he was like, no, you fucked around for too long. One F5, you're done, mate. <laughs> one F5 on, t- on a stack of chairs to give you spinal stenosis and, and uh, we'll call it a day. Uh, uh, did- did, did did you see also that he sorry Brandon but did you see also like Brock kicked out of the dirty deeds onto chairs so Brock yeah. kicks out oh, his yeah. finisher but a fucking is like and then the one f five and then you're done sorry but Dean didn't Dean kick out at, at three and a half after 
rock and it was <laughs> I don't I don't think so, man. <laughs> it looked like it. it. It looked like it. And then Brock sh- Brock shoots off the fire extinguisher after the match. <laughs> yeah, why? <laughs> was he trying to taunt him? I mean, he he's the one that's trying to get away with the bare minimum in this match. I mean, Dean's trying to work his ass off. <laughs> Uh, it was it was it was it was it was horrible rewatching. Maybe maybe, uh, maybe maybe Terry Funk should have just not given the chainsaw, but just given him like a hundred dollar gift card to like Home Depot or something to get all those chairs. Because <laughs> yeah. at least you could have tied in, you know. Because this is the thing: it's like, oh, shades of Terry Funk with the with the with the chairs, and it's like, what do you mean shades of Terry Funk? Game a chainsaw for fuck's sake, like. <laughs> Shades of Terry Funk would be using a fucking chainsaw there. And he did bring it out and, you know, quote unquote, got it, you know, turned it, turned it on or whatever you do. Yeah, it took him uh, a while, didn't it? Yeah, but of course, couldn't use it. So, you know, none of those things got, got used. And yeah. Stupid. Shades of Terry Funk would be getting in a, in a, in a garbage dumpster and getting thrown off a stage. <laughs> Shades of Terry Funk would just be retiring from this match. <laughs> and putting out, what did he used to wear when he was chainsaw Charlie? Like some tights over his face or whatever, like he was stocking, right? Or something. Yeah. yeah. Ladies stocking. Have you ever done that, Brandon? I know you've put marshmallows in your mouth, but have you ever put a stocking over your face? I think you'd look quite interesting if you if you put a stocking over your face. We've done it before for Halloween. We've, we've worn stockings over our head, trick or treating. But uh, yeah, it's it's. And it's, we thought Moxley Moxley made no effort with his costume this year. Mm-hmm. Brandon was just like <laughs> that was a sticker, the tight over my head. What it looks pretty funny when you UK. when you scrunch your face up with the stocking. But uh, yeah, I, I did the bare minimum that Halloween. What did you do the one after? Blow up a condom and put that on you. <laughs> This is when you were 24. And he was... <laughs> so all the build promised to this epic street fight, and it was, I mean, we've already talked, it was just a complete dud, weren't it? Even more frustrating, obviously, when you heard all Mox's ideas for the match earlier, and it was just a, a Brock exhibition with some chair shots, and the match did fuck all for Moxley. And, yeah, and it's... it's Obviously, I think it has gone into some infamy now just because Mox has talked about it so much on podcasts and the Austin podcast and stuff. But I think, Brandon, I don't think anyone would really be talking about this match anymore, especially we wouldn't have done a whole podcast on it if Mox hadn't have gone into so much depth about how frustrated he was with it and how many ideas he'd, he'd had for this match. Yeah, it, it totally would have been a figment in time uh, if uh, if he didn't speak up about uh, the the how the sausage was made for that match. It, it definitely would have, uh, it would, it would not have been remembered. <laughs> Heck, it would probably wouldn't even get no rewatch value because how bad it was. It's a really, it's a dreadful match. And, and, and so credit, much- credit. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I go for it. I was just say credit to Wade Keller because, you know, I listened to that whole interview and I don't know if he was actually ever going to ask, uh, Moxley about this. It was Moxley that uh, he brought up Brock's name in, in some other context and Wade pounced on it. So that would be the one thing if, if, if I'm ever in a conversation with Wade Keller, I'd, I'd ask him, were you going to like press him about that? Was that on your uh, question list? Because you're, you guys are right. If he hadn't have, hadn't have talked about this, 
you know, it, it's it's not in his book. Maybe that's because he talked about it in such detail and he didn't mm. want to rehash things. But you know, may have just been lost. And and I, I go back to when we appeared on the the the, the Poison Rana flagship show, which you can watch live on YouTube, at Poison Rana Pod on YouTube every Sunday, two p.m. Eastern. And I said that. John Moxley, he's a man of few words, and he really is. He doesn't do many of these interviews. In fact, I believe this was like the last shoot-style interview that he would do for for a very long time. I think he really only exclusively does them with Renee uh, mm-hmm. here and there. Um, you know, he he did Jericho, and then he did Wade Keller, and then he was like, you know what, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And he says this on on that on that pod a lot. He's like, I'm not going to do any more of these, and he didn't. Um, and and I said on that that podcast with you guys uh, that episode of Poison Rana, you know, I said he's a man of few words, but when he speaks, he he says really impactful stuff. And we managed to get an entire you know almost two hour episode based on just that. So uh, kudos to him and Wade and everything. And you know, it was a it was a great look behind the curtain of a of a single WrestleMania match. He's the, he's like the last of these mythical figures that like when when he speaks he 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 shakes foundations like he gets his point across about uh, about what he wants to talk about and I I think that's great like we don't we don't not everybody needs to have like not every pro wrestler needs to have a podcast and, and express their uh, <laughs> their concerns like uh, I mean a certain uh, tag team the. Uh, FT, uh, that are that are bald and uh, and are from the south and, and love this. Business. <laughs> FT, no, wait, hold on, that's too obvious. Uh, let's call them hair and bald. <laughs> that's their names, isn't it? Hair and bald. They yeah. know their actual names. Um, uh, Dash. No, anyway, go on. The aftermath of this box does go on to have his feud with Jericho. Lesnar does fight at UFC 200, but has his win overturned after failing a drug test. And um, I did. Put some feedback out for the uh, loyal listeners of Poison Rana on their uh, Facebook group. And we didn't actually get any feedback for the match, but I just wanted to just quickly shout out Glenn Zadra. Sorry if I've mispronounced your last name. Who gave us some nice feedback about our first episode. He had a lot of nice things to say about all three of us, especially Dickie and Brandon. So, yeah, thanks to Glenn for that. Really, really appreciate that. Thank you, Glenn. Shout out, Glenn. Glenn. Thanks, Glenn. Your gift card is in the mail. Thank you. I didn't. I didn't agree to that. <laughs> You're paying for that, then, Brandon. Surely. Um, so, any final thoughts on this match before we uh, wrap up or this whole period of uh, sort of like and what Moxley said on podcast, Brandon? Uh, I, I, I'm shocked that we can milk the bone of, of, of a match like this. But uh, yeah, he's he once again hit it out of the park with the interviews and, and spoke his piece about. Uh, just how the drizzling shits creative was for for him for for, for his uh for this build and for the match uh for uh, WrestleMania, but uh yeah, uh, phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. Dickie, yeah, any final thoughts? Mu- yeah, not much else to say. Um, except it's weird when you when you when you listen to the interview in full. He does start off this section about Brock 
trying to make it sound like it's not actually Brock's fault. It's the management. It's the people. Mm. They can't say no to Brock and all that sort of stuff. And then he goes and buries Brock for, you know, 20 yeah. straight minutes. Like it really just basically calls him, a, you know, a fucking lazy idiot and all this sort of stuff. Um, don't quote me on that. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, obviously just hugely frustrated. Um, I can imagine. So this was, probably going to be the biggest match of his career at the time. And I think coming out of it, you'd probably say I'd rather watch the, or you'd definitely say I'd rather watch the last man standing match with uh, Kevin Owens at the the Royal Rumble a few months beforehand. But um, I don't know. It's, it was designed to elevate um, Dean Ambrose. Uh, I don't know if it did. I'd say it probably didn't, but he would go on to at least move forward and move mm. upwards. It may not have been based on preference of the office um, because it was due to certain things that I'm sure we'll talk about in future episodes, but he at least, you know, kept moving forward. So this is just one of those matches that is just, I think, you know, when you watch it, it sucked and it can just go away and, it's not even like a stain on his his career, really, because it was just such nothingness. Um, but yeah, I had fun. I had fun talking about it, and fuck, I had fun listening to to the to the interview about it because that stuff really, I love hearing the the behind the scenes sort of stuff. So, thank you to him, and thank you to you, Mum. No, thank you, thank you, guys, as always. And um, would you guys like to know what we're going to be talking? For our next episode. Hopefully because... something better than this. <laughs> oh, well, I, 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 it depends on what you would classify interviews as aside, the, the interviews were great. The match sucked. So yeah. there's a commonality in between. So the, it's clearly... not just the match, but obviously all the lead up. Although I did get a lot of uh, laughter out of uh, certain parts of the lead up to it, especially uh, mm. it being all sitcommy. Well, it depends what you'd uh, classify as better than this, because obviously... The next month is coming up December. I don't know what happens in Australia or America, but as soon as November the first hits, they must have like some kind of button depress in the UK where it's like, right, Christmas advertising, all Christmas in every shop. Same it's here, Christmas, man. Christmas, Christmas for two months. So, you know, everyone it's stressful time, people gotta like go out and get presents and that. So we thought we'd do something a bit more lighter than this. And um we're gonna be talking about season six of Total Divas, which was the only season that featured Renee Young as she was at the time, and Moxley was along for the ride. So there's a lot of interesting and funny clips on that one. And if we can align the schedules, align the clouds, we might have a certain post-wrestling host joining us for that one, someone who is a massive Total Divas fan who can't wait to talk about John Moxley on Total Divas. Man, uh, I just hope we get, we can hear a certain person, a certain guest's wife maybe in the background, giving her maybe thoughts, maybe, maybe just put that out into the universe. Maybe. Um, so, right. So plugs, Dickie and Brandon, you've been all over the pod waves. Dickie, um, what a poison run I got going on this month. And I, I believe you made a, an appearance on one of their podcasts. Uh, yeah, so I I, uh, they, <laughs> I sat down with Davey and, and, and Braden and talked about 
uh, Antichrist, and uh, that was uh, that was a a, a great uh, a great chat, a great podcast. The the movie is is actually just terrible, and I don't suggest anybody watch it. Um, but that that is up there, and if you um, if you sign up to their Patreon for five dollars a month and become a friend, you uh, you can uh, you can listen to that. Um, and uh, I believe they've just released their their Halloween special as well. Um, is it Halloween Six? Is that correct? It is. Yeah the uh, the final one featuring um, Mr. Donald Pleasance, who plays yes. Loomis in it, obviously. And, and enjoyed that one with a, a glass of red wine, as um, Donald Pleasance intended you to. And that's on their their that's on their free feed. And um, if you do sign up to the free feed, you'll also uh, see the the latest episode of What Up Do, one of my favourite episodes, especially as a, a basic white guy living in Australia. It's good to uh, get a little bit of culture in my <laughs> life listening to uh, listening to B Detroit and uh, John Ceno, and of course, Shot in the Dark every week, where John Ceno talks about all the stuff that you do not want to watch, like NWA and. MLW and AW Rampage and maybe Dynamite soon. And uh, (laughs) so you can go to poisonrana.ca and you can get all the links to that. Obviously, if you're listening to this, this is on the Poison Rana free feed. So check out the other episodes. Everything on there is great. Detox as well is coming up very soon. Um, it's not all wrestling, you know, and that's what I think is, is kind of good. It's, it's mixing it up a little bit. Um, and, uh, me personally at Dickie Bird Media, Instagram and Twitter. I don't call it X and never will. Uh, and, uh, yeah, follow me and I will, uh, be putting up the video. Uh, well, it'll be up there now pinned, uh, the video for this. If you haven't actually seen the video I put together for Eagles Don't Hunt Flies, check it out. I watched it again the other day. It's pretty good. Um, so, very, very uh, good. so yeah. <laughs> I love it. Excellent so anyway, as always, so check that out. The shout out John Cena. I mean, he's been a machine, hasn't he? Covering for Way and John on podcasts on post. And that's not an easy thing to do, covering those live shows. And he's done a fantastic job on it. And yeah, and What Up Doe is a fantastic show. And yeah, so shout out John Cena. He's been doing amazing work sort of like the past couple of months. Yeah, great guy. And Brandon, you um, were responsible for, I think Pollock described one of the worst episodes of uh, wrestling television. You forced him to watch this thing again. Yeah, I I, I requested a WCW uh, Nitro when uh, Mr. David Arquette won the title. and uh, But the real story was uh, Johnny B. Bad making his return to WCW. <laughs> Apparently nobody knew. Everyone, everyone I've, I've interacted with is, is completely shocked that the Batman uh, came back. Came back for one night and one night only to fight Tank Abbott. It, 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 they were they were the forebearers for Naganu and uh, and Fury. <laughs> You've had a hell of a week, Brandon. By the way, I mean you went from Dean Ambrose and Brock Lesnar to David Arquette winning the WCW Championship. I mean, fuck. Are you okay? I am okay. I, I'm uh, okay. These are these are moments that you can't pass up uh, doing this podcast and talking about WCW Thunder. Come on, Thunder is one of the guilty pleasures of the two thousands. Come on, everyone loved it. Everybody watched it. But yeah, I did that with uh, John and Way on uh, Rewind Away. It was fun. Uh, 
uh, got a lot of meat on that boat for that show, which was absolutely dreadful. It's it's, it's your Russo Russo riffic type of uh, of episode of many things happening all at once. That'll that 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 if you pay attention closely, you'll get a seizure because uh, it's it's absolutely insane. What was going on in that episode? Like run-ins and squash matches, like bad acting from professional actors. It's, it's a, it was a Michigan of uh of carnage for that episode i had a lot of fun doing that i think they didn't they when they're trying to get sable in that's why they fetch mark Merrow in well she was on she was on an episode uh of uh did she do the same thing that they she, yeah. she was just in the front row and they just cut to her and she just appeared they panned to her they mentioned her name and then she never returned <laughs> she, she went back to the fed yeah I, I think it was like a negotiating tactic for her yeah mm. Because she was the real ratings drawer of the attitude. It went oh, Austin oh, or Rock yeah. and stuff. When you look at the quarter hours for her, she was like, no wonder they wanted a piece of Sable. But um, <laughs> anyway, uh, follow me at Bushby01 on X slash Twitter. And um, yeah, no, people harp on about, oh, yeah, five-star ratings and stuff like that. But they do really mean a lot for the Poison Run Network. So if you've not left one yet, please leave a five-star one. Don't bother with four, three, two, one, just five. So, um, yeah, and like I said, we'll be back in December for Christmas, Total Divas, and thanks for listening, and we will catch you then.